there, everyone. I'm Joe, and I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for listening to our Lincoln eFree podcast. We are grateful for your support to shine the light of Christ in every home and business in the Lincoln Lakes area and beyond. In case you're not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our bio. We hope you enjoy this week's message and encourages you and helps you to become the light that God designed you to be. With that, let's jump in. If there's one thing I know for sure is that I want control. I was blowing leaves. Maybe I should have brought my leaf blower instead. And I was just trying to blow the leaves off my driveway, but the wind was too strong. It was like so frustrating. I just like, if you ever leaf blowed in when you're like, when the wind is fighting you, give me advice. I mean, you need to work with the wind, ideally. But it was just like so frustrating. I just wanted control over these leaves to go to a place I wanted to go. It just wasn't working. So you see, for all of existence, humanity has craved for control. We covet control due to our limitations to know things. Because if we don't have certainty, we want control. In the 4th century BC, Greek philosophers concluded that the earth was the center of the universe. That the stars and the sun revolved around the earth. Almost 2,000 years later, Copernicus proposed in writing in his journal in 1510 that it was actually the sun that revolved around the earth. And it wasn't until 1514 that his work was published. And this theory that it was actually the sun and the stars, uh, that the earth actually revolves around the sun, got the attention of the church. Later in 1609, Galileo's telescope confirmed that Copernicus' theory was correct. That the earth revolves around the sun. And in 1616, the church took a deeper look into this theory and declared it theologically heretical. Much later, Copernicus' theory and Galileo's confirmation of Copernicus' theory got worldwide acceptance. That it was just generally known that, yes, the, the sun, where the earth is revolving around the sun. And much later, we actually, today, if you go to Florence, Italy, in one of the cathedrals, they have put on display Galileo's middle finger. And as some, someone once said, I think Galileo got the last word. You see, when we don't understand something like the unknown universe, we want to figure it out and we make a label on it. And then we try to regulate the control of that system that we have created. We hate to be wrong. and We don't like it when we're not in control. We, when we don't have certainty, we want control. Why would I leave it up to Johnny to control the TV remote when I don't know what he's going to pick? Nor do I know if I'm actually going to like what he's going to watch. Or why would we trust someone 
who told us what the weather is going to be like today when my app obviously tells me something different. My app has more certainty. It's safe to say that we all maybe even feel like we need control. But I want to pose the question to us all. What do we really have control of? So today I'm going to be in the story in 1 Samuel 14, 8 through 15. And I'll be urging us to control ourselves to not be in control. This sounds like an oxymoron. It's supposed to be. Because to yield to things that we have no control over requires significant self-control. And to come back to that question, what do we actually have control of? The only thing that we can have control of is our choice. I mean, I know there's a huge theological debate here about free will and human agency. But where I stand and when I read scripture, God gives humanity a choice. That if he chose that choice for us, it would be inconsistent with what Romans 14.12 says, where it's said that we will have to give an account of what we've done with our life to God. I'll let you chew on that. But battle for control is really about the battle to develop your self-control. We waste time and energy battling over things that we can't control while neglecting the one thing that we can control, our response and our choice. So to develop a self-control that lets go and says yes to God's control requires us to, one, convince ourselves that God's word is more intimidating than any worldly pressures, and two, to choose to listen and obey to God's word. And I believe this story from 1 Samuel 13 is going to show us how. So if you have your Bible, read, uh, open up to 1 Samuel, but we have it right on here on the screen. So I'm going to read it chunk by chunk here and talk about it and draw up some points. So, here's Saul. He's waiting for Samuel. He waited, it says, seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Let's just pause for a little bit and talk about this. Here's Saul, okay? He's two years into being a king. For Israel, and he's feeling pretty confident. Okay, he recently led a huge military victory over the Philistines, and following Samuel's word, Saul has gathered his troops and his supporters to wait at Gilgal for further instructions for Samuel. Gilgal is a significant place for Israelites. It's the place where Joshua crossed over the Jordan River and took stones out of the river to make a monument, to make a memorial place for Israelites to say, see what God has done. It's a, it's a cosmic turning point for Israel in this history because they were in the wilderness, and now they're in the promised land. Generations later, it was at Gilgal that upon seeing Joshua's memorial stones enshrined with idols that it was Ehud, that saw this, turned back around to kill the king Eglon and free Israel from the Moabite control. 
Gilgal has the reputation to be a turning point for God's people when they listen and obey his word. So if you, I just wonder if you guys are on the cusp of a turning point in your life. You might be in a Gilgal moment. It's a fork in the road decision that you have in front of you. A make or break moment for a relationship. Pressures are forcing you to act, speak, or do something. And whatever you do, this will short the course of your future and sometimes the future of others around you. Jesus had a moment like this too. After he was baptized, a beautiful display of affirmation of his identity as as the son of God, he was driven into the wilderness. And three times, Jesus did not cave in to the schemes of the devil. He could have taken into his hand the, the, the hunger that he had or the authority and the power. He could take that for himself. What a sad reality we would all face if that was true, that he took his own power in his hand. One of Jesus' response to the devil is something that we can draw out of here. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. Our life is sustained by God's word, his living and active word. So if you're in a Gilgal moment, on the cusp of a turning point, I would advise you to take your next step very carefully and seek God's word. Learn from Saul's mistake. Because as we move back into the story, unfortunately, the turning point for Saul is about to experience has the reverse effect as Joshua or Ehud. Saul became impatient. He waited for seven days that Samuel would told him to wait for, but still no Samuel. And he did something we've often heard in our, our culture. If you want to do something, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Who's heard that? Yeah. That's so embedded in our culture, especially U.S. culture. I've heard this multiple times working under a contractor. Man, it was awful when I was working on something. And he's like, just like gets in and he's like, God, do something. You just got to do it yourself. And he's just like on the cusp of cusping, cussing. And most recently, I was sitting down watching Winnie the Pooh. And lo and behold, Rabbit said that same thing. You got to do something. You got to do right. He was complaining with Tigger. It was stuck up in the tree. <laughs> and I, like, I looked at my kids and like, hey, guys. Rabbit is upset. He's not, he does not have a good attitude about this. It's a teachable moment. This phrase, this, this thing that we, is embedded in our culture is motivated by our frustration, irritation, impatience, or annoyance. So Paul, I mean Saul here, is impatient. And feeling the power as king, he's going to do as he pleases. Prepared and he made the burnt offering himself. He was done waiting. You see, you see, when we take matters into our own hands, often our hearts are far from God. Saul was given God's word through Samuel to wait for Samuel and to give the burnt offering, but he didn't. And when we force ourselves to take control of the situation that God said he would, We show that our hearts mistrust him and also distrust that he's going to provide for us. Give the example of stealing. Stealing 
is really just an act of distrusting God that he's going to provide for your every need. When your Amazon package does not come two days, like prime promises, what's your response? I mean, I don't know what it is. I think we're just too brutal. Like, never do I get a package in two days, does it promise. And sometimes that's frustrating because I want it now, right? To be close to God's heart requires us to abort the idea to take matters into our own, st- in, into our own hands and instead hold fast to God's word. Letting go of control isn't easy, though. It sometimes requires us to remain cool under pressure. So let's continue reading 1 Samuel 13, 11 through 14 and see what happens. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering for me and you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistine had mustered at Mishmash. Wow, I really, that wasn't, okay. Uh, And I said that the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the offering. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God and with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. When Samuel finally arrives, Saul has just finished taking matters into his own hands. Isn't this relatable? I mean, because I feel like the moment we choose to stop waiting for someone or something is the exact moment then that person shows up or the situation gets cleared, right? We had this moment last week, Saturday, when we went to the Ren Collective concert, and they said, Here's our, like, this is our last song, and so Anlu and I are talking, like, we got to beat the rush. And so they're singing, and as musicians, we hear the ending coming, and so we get up out of our seats, we start walking down the stairs, and then lo and behold, there's an encore, and they sing two more songs. But thankfully, I mean, they came on stage when we were at the bottom of the stairs, and we actually got a pretty awesome view for them. Um, but that's what happens. Like, we, we, we want to just like, get out, but realize there's, there's much more. There's something else coming. So then Saul gives his excuses for why he took control. He says, the soldiers and the people are, are leaving me. The people waiting with Saul are impatient as well. And Saul all of a sudden realized his army is dwindling. Then he complains that Samuel didn't come when he said he would. He worried that God's favor wouldn't be upon them when the time that the Philistines would attack. He was was waiting for the favor of God for Samuel to come to give the burnt offering so they could get the green light to go. Oh, and yeah, he complained about the Philistines that are at his doorsteps with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and 6,000 foot soldiers. I would, be, I would be worried. I would be wanting to act, do something. And Saul was responsible for the military action and felt like now is the time to do something. But we have to convince ourselves 
that God's word is more intimidating than anything or anyone. Intimidation around us is trying to force your hand. Saul had his intimidations, as we just talked about, but we have ours. I mean, the fear of missing out, especially for my generation, it pulls us towards the hype of being with people that are appearing to have the most fun or being with those who are in the inn. But God says, if you're with me, you lack nothing. You have everything. Or you take the news, okay? It convinces us that the world is a total mess, totally evil. But God calls us to partner with him to restore and reconcile all things under him. We have part of that plan. And mother-in-laws, tell me, you ch- I got told to change what I'm wearing so I could participate in the family photos. I didn't want to do that. That went against all my manliness. I just wanted to wear what I wanted to wear, but I chose to anyway. I mean, there's pressures and intimidations all around. God's, but God's word is more intimidating than anything. Just There's examples across the Bible. Take Lot's wife. When told not to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah, and she did, and pillar of salt. Jonah said no to God, going to, uh, saying no to going to Nineveh. Three days in the belly of a whale. How would you like that? Oh, and I mentioned Adam and Eve. Oh, yeah, just the physical and spiritual death of the whole human race. I mean, when we go against God's word, <laughs> we should be intimidated by God. Isaiah 55:11 says, God's word will not return to him empty, meaning what he says goes. What he says he will do, he will do. And the price we pay not to listen is too great. And the reward of listening is God's favor. In comparison, worldly pressure is coaxing us to force hand, to take matters into our own hands, is not enough of a reason to disobey God's word. Saul gets rebuked by Samuel. He condemns Samuel's actions as foolish and disobedient because it was only God's prophet who could administer the offering. I mean, if we gave Saul the benefit of the doubt, at best, he's just a young, new leader of an organization who wants to bring change too fast. But I don't think that's what's happening here. Clearly, he was disobedient to God's word and being king over God's people. Saul was stripped of the promise of his kingdom reigning forever. Paul remained Israel's physical king for some time. But he was no longer the spiritual king that Israel needed. Samuel says that God was after a man with his own heart. The result of Saul's disobedience by taking control of the situation ended with God saying that he regretted Making Saul king. I do not know how that fits into your guys' theology, but that provokes me. I don't understand that. 
So even if you're named king, received the Holy Spirit, given a new heart, as Saul did, you still have to choose to listen and obey God. So what's in control is only your choice to say yes to God's word. I mean, every day we make daily decisions that express either a yes or a no to God's word in our life. I'm going to read my Bible today. It's a yes. I'm going to use words and actions to love my wife in an understanding way or my husband with respect. Yes. Neglecting to discipline or disciple your children? No. I mean, daily things that we do express a yes or a no to God's rule and reign over our life. And when we say yes, we have God's heart and his favor. The moment we stop listening and disobeying God is the moment we've lost his heart and we've lost his favor. Saul wanted God's favor. The offering. He grew impatient. He took it up upon himself to make it happen. I'm going to make God love me. I'm going to make God show his favor on me. What's not in control is everything else. God is ultimately in control. He is sovereign over all, meaning your marriage, your kids, your job, your finances in his hands. All of it is in, in his control. And when we listen to say yes to what God wants to do with your marriage, what God wants to do with your kids, is when he brings the transformation. If we say no, that marriage is not going to last. Or those kids are not going to learn who Jesus is. But when you say yes to God's word for your marriage, or your kids, your job, your finances, transformation comes. So the marriage you've always wanted isn't achieved by trying to change the other person. It's through Jesus' example of selfish love, of sacrifice, and service to one another. Desiring to have a well-behaved child is not achieved through discipline that only modifies their behavior. But it's discipling and shepherding their heart. We have to learn to be self-controlled and know when we need to let go and trust God at his word. Or we're endangering ourselves to become far from God's heart. <clears throat> this story from Saul's life taught us something. It's taught us that we are only in control of our choice. And to develop a self-control and let go and let God's control be a part of our life requires us to convince ourselves that God's word is the most intimidating thing out there and that we need to listen to it. And we need to choose to listen and obey God at his word. So when uncertainty comes, because it will, yield and seek before you take that next step. God's glorious intention for us is to live under the rule and reign of Jesus' kingdom. Adam and Eve had a taste of this. I mean, they walked as close as any human could walk with God in the cool of the day. I just, I just imagine what conversations they had. 
but they were tempted and gave into a false sense of control when they ate the fruit, God forbidden. Jesus, though, restored humanity's deep longing and hope to walk closely with their creator. He paid for it with his blood. It cost him everything to restore our relationship back to God, the Father. Why? Love. He absolutely loves us beyond what I can even say to you. He loves you. Daily, we're invited under this glorious rule and reign and the promise of walking with God. Therefore, when a decision comes your way and it brings with it uncertainty, yield, what did God say? Do I need to remind myself of this? Maybe there's something that you've read in the scripture and you, you believed it, but you just need to remind yourself of it when a decision comes your way. Or maybe you're at a crossroad and you, you I haven't heard from God. Maybe it's time to just crack open the Bible and just read. There's so much God is saying and still saying. So look in the Bible. Often for myself, I, I look at my journal. I, I, I journal my time with God when I read my Bible. I listen to him. I jot things down. And sometimes I need to be reminded of what God's doing in my life and what he's spoken over it. So yield. What did God say? And then seek. What is God's heart in this situation? We all know what would Jesus do, right? So what would Jesus do in this situation? What would he do, but not, what would he say? What would he think? And we inquire God's heart through prayer. And we also inquire God's heart through asking our brothers and sisters around us to know what to do in a certain situation. So when uncertainty comes, yield and seek before you take that next step. Can I tell a joke? <laughs> I, I don't know, can I? Uh, if a sheep is control of a country, what would it be called? A dictator sheep? But I'm, I need some on the drums. But most of humanity... Most of humanity agrees that one person to control a country does not work out well. So why do we as mere sheep in God's flock, living in a body and on a world in which we did not create, think, and behave like we do? Scripture is clear. The one on the throne is eternal. God, who was and is and is to come, he lives forever and ever. No one can remove him or replace him as ruler. He cannot be voted out of office or run out of town or out of the country. He is God from everlasting to everlasting. Let's pray. So God, we, we thank you for the assurance that you remain on the throne of God. Jesus, that you see what's happening in our world as nations collide with one another, but also you see even the collisions of life within our own heart and families. 
You are a God that cares deeply for your people. You care for the biggest things that are happening globally, and you care for the conversation that you, we have with our children or our spouse. You care deeply, God. And so we thank you for your friendship, your lordship over our life. And we can completely trust you that you've got this. You've got our life when it becomes shaky. We got, you got us when our relationships feel shaky. Lord, direct our attentions and energies to seeking you, to yielding before you. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit guide and direct us because we cannot do it on our own. I cannot handle what life throws at me on my own. I need your help. I need your Holy Spirit. So we just invite your Holy Spirit to come. You know the hearts of every people here in this room and what they're wrestling with, but we just pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would come, invade their space, invade their problems and issues and situations and bring light to it and redemption in Jesus name we pray Thanks for listening to today's message. If you're interested in learning more about Lincoln E Free Church here in the Lincoln Lakes area, you can go check out our website, lincolnefree.org, and you can give us a follow on Facebook. Have a great week.